a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I'm joined by a gentleman, an Australian gentleman, although currently residing in LA in the United States of America, a gentleman by the name of Simon Mannering. Simon, a very, very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you so much, Paul, and, and hi to the listeners. And um, well, your, your company, um, Simon, was, is We First Branding. And so what we thought about, uh, we talk about building brands that put purpose, people and planet first. I mean, a very, very interesting trilogy there. Uh, my uh, my eyes uh, lit up significantly when I saw the the first of the piece, purpose. I love that word. So probably a good place to start, Simon, a nice warm-up is to tell us a little bit about yourself and how We First Branding came about. Thanks, Paul. Uh, you know, I was in a, an advertising creative in Australia, London, and then the US, you know, and I'd been lucky enough to work at many of the top, world's top advertising agencies on accounts like Nike. And I, I ran Motorola worldwide for Ogilvy when I moved to Los Angeles. And, you know, after this long career where like many Australians, you travel around the world exploring different versions of success and wondering if you're missing out on anything. Um, I actually found myself at a bit of a crossroads personally. I was a dad and my wife and I were living in Los Angeles. We had young kids and despite these different versions of success, you know, I wasn't happy. And I think it's quite disconcerting when you're in your mid thirties or late thirties and you've done all this effort and you don't know why you're unhappy. And so I went out and became a freelancer and I, I was sort of like the cleaner from Pulp Fiction who would kind of repel in and fix brands in trouble for many years. And um, I did that for six years for fortune 500 companies out here in the U S and even then at the end of that period, you know, even the breathless brand triage of constantly trying to fix brands in crisis wore off. And I was really struggling to work out why I wasn't fulfilled by what I was doing. And at that time, something very unexpected and unfortunate happened, which is my father passed away suddenly overnight. And he, he, they, my mother was calling me from Sydney, Australia, and um, calling me to sort of get me to speak to him before he passed. And I didn't hear the phone calls because of the time difference. And they're all on an answering machine, the messages. And the last message was, Simon, you know, dad died, call us when you wake up. And those two words, wake up, really took on a profundity for me that I didn't expect. I felt like I'd been living other people's versions of success for a long time and, and was searching for something rather than trying to work out what's true to myself. And as luck would have it, you know, when I was personally destabilized and professionally somewhat unchallenged for the first time in my life, I got out of my own way and, and really just um, didn't have the answers and didn't retreat to my head to try and work out 
what I should be doing or what I do now or how I make myself feel safe in adverted commas. And I happened to read a speech that Bill Gates gave at the World Economic Forum in that time. Um, he had just given the speech at Davos and then later on the floor of the UN General Assembly. It was called Creative Capitalism. And he said, you know, how can the private sector play a bigger role in social change? And the global economic meltdown had just happened and so on. And I, I took that to heart. And so I decided to write a book to answer Bill Gates' challenge. I've never wanted to write a book myself before. And I spent three years writing this book, We First, How Brands and Consumers Use Social Media to Build a Better World. And, you know, as luck would have it, it was a New York Times bestseller and voted best marketing book of the year. And this was in 2011, when really it was the very early days of social media and Arab Spring revolutions were happening and so on. And that really launched my commitment to business as a force for good, long before it's become not well much more popular as it is today. And so for the last 10 years, my company, We First, has been helping startups, mid-sized companies, high-growth companies, and very large corporations retool internally and externally so that they can you know, have a positive impact and at the same time drive, drive growth because that's what their investors and their employees and consumers want. So that's the focus of We First. Mm. What really fascinated me, Simon, when I went on your, uh, on your website there, there was, well, there was four words, very succinct, very, well, actually five, sorry, five very succinct, powerful words, help brands tell purposeful stories. Mm -hmm. Because isn't it true that, you know, yes, we've got this focus of purpose. You know, the way I frame that is if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for everything. And that's, that's the whole purpose of having a purpose, isn't it? You know, direction, focus, call it what you will. But that whole, then to sub distill that even further, Simon, as into the social storytelling element that um, that you and your guys do. I, you know, I'm I'm sort of it's coming into my consciousness more and more and more just how powerful that is. You know, I've kind of joked in the past. You know, in the old days, the caveman sat sat around the fire and they told stories about you know what they'd gone out and bought the beef home that day, so to speak. I don't think really inherently times have changed that much. We're still those natural storytellers. We love to tell stories as people, don't we? We do. I think, you know, we're still human beings sitting around campfires telling stories. But I think what we're slowly starting to realize is the stories we tell write the future. For example, when, you know, President Kennedy here in the United States talked about the moonshot and, and getting to the moon, that launched a huge technology and innovation era for the United States. And that was a narrative, a story that he scripted for the country. Or even, you know, um, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr., you know, he, when he talked about I have a dream, you know, it was articulating something that was long overdue in culture in the country and, you know, um, really was one of the, the catalysts of the civil rights movement. And so I do think that we have the chance not to just react to these stories or to let them emerge organically, but to be more intentional about it and, and help not only retool a company or an industry, but also to shape culture by defining the stories that we, that we share and that we amplify through business. Mm. I want to flip over, Simon, if I may, onto the social media and just bring in your book at that point. Obviously, we've mentioned it a couple of times already. And, and I think it's worth reinforcing. We first, how brands and consumers use social media to build a better world. Couple of interesting questions. Well, I think they're interesting, Simon, that I've got around that as one that, and dare I say, stereotypically and almost semi 
semi holding a limiting belief. So I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here of I'm of yeah. a certain age. This social media thing mm, don't sit well with me. And I hear that so much, Simon. So I suppose my question is, um, you know, can we really get can we build a world brand without social media? You can, but it's like saying, could I build a world recognized brand with only radio? And you would probably say you probably could, but why not use television or why not use print magazines mm -hmm. in the same way? Traditional media was television, print and radio for so long. And then, you know, came the, the web, you know, and then came social media. So it's almost like ignoring the channels through which the vast majority of people now communicate and connect with each other. So, you know, if you're lucky enough, you can build, you know, a global brand without social media. But when, you know, 90% of the eyeballs are on a variety of channels, it does seem like a missed opportunity. Yeah, I was thinking more, as I say, Simon, playing a little bit of devil's advocate, well, a lot of devil's advocate there, actually. Yeah. Um, but to say, well, Simon, you know, it's all right for um, inverted commas, you younger lot, um, don't rub along with this social stuff and everybody wants to know you. Be and, I, I, you know, at the risk of repeating, I hear that so much. And I'm thinking, OK, yeah. how, how do we get beyond that? Because as powerful, I mean, my retort on that is, Ignore social media at your peril because you can't. It's so big, you isn't know, you, it? You can't ignore it, but also I t your point is well taken. I mean, does you know people in their thirties and forties and fifties and sixties want to be investing their time in TikTok? You know, no. You know, it's a very short format, quick, you know, digestibles, you know, content snacks that you know young teenagers really enjoy. Um, so it doesn't mean you have to be on all channels. I think like any marketer or any person that distributes information, you need to identify which channels are most appropriate and comfortable and authentic to you and then use those. And so for those who just sort of shake their head when they look at all the social media and all the you know young kids staring at their phones, you know, the answer really is, well, look, you know, just use those channels appropriate to you where your peers and colleagues and friends and family are. And that makes sense. If you're a brand, it's slightly different because you not only have to speak to your existing customers who may be young, who may be old, but you've always got to keep your eye on the next generation of customers. So you've always got to be building relevance for your brand for the future. And that makes a difference. Mm. Obviously, social media, I think it's fair to say, um, has got quite a dark side as well. Have you got any tips or any insights, Simon, how, how to overcome that, what's perceived to be that dark side of social media? Well, if by dark side you mean, you know, whether it's hate speech or, you know, bad actors using um, social media to organize, promote, amplify information, um, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Much of the responsibility, you know, stands with those who actually control the platform, you know, the Facebooks, you know, um, and Google and so on. You know, they really do control information to such a large degree and they're the only ones equipped at scale to you know weed out people who are really inciting hate or other things like that and that's why it's such a big issue here in the united states right now um, at the same time we all need to be mindful that we're in echo chambers or bubbles on social media where the algorithms are such that you know 
you typically by what you choose to look at and share yourself the algorithm then shares you content relevant or what it perceives to be of interest to that so you're in this bubble of really just sharing information and then you know digesting information that reinforces what you shared and so it's a very myopic view and i think we can all benefit from keeping a wider perspective and appreciating and respecting everyone's right to a different opinion and that often on social media is hard to do and so i think it's partly on your own responsibility to look more broadly than social media being mindful that there are these sort of self-limiting algorithms mm. and at the same time you know you need to we all need to keep pressure on these large platforms to weed out the dark side as you say yeah yeah flipping over to your own um simon manring website there was there was there was a really good um a really good insight for me that that grabbed my attention and i'm quoting verbatim here simon the greatest obstacle to any brand is internal old mindsets and behaviors that drove success in the past but no longer serve future growth what are the key questions companies stroke people must ask themselves to overcome self-limiting thinking or behaviors so from this this change this switch where you talk about from me to we isn't that what when i was reading that simon i thought well okay so we're talking about if, if i'm understanding that correctly we're talking about limiting beliefs thinking you know those those patterns of behaviors that are constraining to say the least doesn't that put the ball in with me rather than we well you know all of us are at once an individual and we are part of a community but the real turning point is when you as an individual decide that the way you behave and think is going to be driven by collective well-being and a couple of points on that one every human being has the right to be self-interested that's part of our human nature it's natural you know you want certain things in life you need certain things in life you want to take care of yourself you want success you want fulfillment that's natural but when it gets unhelpful is when it becomes uh you know just selfishness or greed outright and you know we've seen the consequences of that when a whole you know business sector or business at large is thinking that that sort of profit for profit sake winner takes all you know we saw that in 2008 we've seen it in different ways and even in the last year where an increasing number of people get extraordinary wealth and the vast majority of people are really struggling to survive so you know there's a distinction between self-interest healthy self-interest and selfishness and and self-interest is part of being human that me in a sense but when you think about it when you stand back and you look at two things one is if you look at the natural world right now the environment there's a lot of cause for concern because it's breaking down you know whether it's climate crisis whether it's biodiversity being lost out there whether it's plastics in the ocean you know the whole system is coming unstuck which is having a huge effect on people's lives whether it's extreme weather or you know all the things that we read about in the press every day mm. at the same time you look at you know the social ecosystem out there you know the ability of people to survive the majority of people you know their well-being and happiness and all around the world including the united states it's really become a top of mind um discussion because things are not working well for the vast majority of people and so the larger point here is whether you look at the natural ecosystem or you know the social ecosystem 
if we put the interests of the collective first, if we really think in terms of we, if we really make sure that society can function, there is a prosperous middle class that can buy companies' products, that we are nurturing the natural world that makes all of this possible, then the parts are really um, a beneficiary of the whole. You know, if we really take care of the whole system and it's working well, then everyone can benefit. The alternative is to really just look after yourself. And as we've seen, whether it's in the natural world or socially increasingly and all the compounding effects that come off that, like the Black Lives Matter movement amongst others, you know, it really does threaten the whole system. So the larger point about going from me to we is not that you need to abandon your self-interest. That's healthy. That's natural. But rather, if we actually all think about protecting the larger ecosystem on which everyone depends, everyone can thrive, and you can actually take care of that self-interest. And the alternative is, well, if you don't take care of the larger system, it's going to break down for everyone. And then ultimately, you know, that's unsustainable. Listening to that, what was coming through there was reflections of Robin's six human needs, you know, where's top, the top spiritual need for contribution, you know, looking outside ourselves because otherwise we do become insular, don't we? And, you know, crippled by fear. If we're going to, you know, really bring this down to brass tacks, Simon, that, that sort of, well, that insular way of being and it's all about me, that significance of me, myself and I, is from my humble experience a very very quick route to a uh, one laden with fear rather than the opposite of love so there's this whole kind of philosophy that sits and i think the other thing is as well the world is now in my humble opinion at a time of its of its development where it is absolutely desperate and crying out for change is it not yes i mean it is we are looking at some very very sobering timelines if we don't change what we're doing you know there are those who don't believe in climate crisis and all these other issues and you know it's it's very hard to understand that point of view now but everyone has the right to their own opinion because there's so much science to back it up and if you look at these timelines whether it's 10 years whether it's seven years whether it's five years after which if we haven't changed what we're doing the damage is going to be irrevocable and you know we used to talk about this before COVID 19 and everyone would be like, you know, this sounds terrible. And we can only imagine what that will do to our lives. And we've seen natural disasters and we've seen, you know, um, you know, the ice caps melting and so on and so on. But I think COVID has made it very clear to everybody how on a dime the world can change, how on a dime the global economy can grind to a halt, how on a dime millions of jobs can be lost overnight millions of businesses disappear millions of livelihoods be threatened and so there's almost greater urgency created by covid and even the black lives matter movement here in the united states and around the world to make us realize you know we need to pay attention to making things better rather than just trying to take care of ourselves and line our own pockets and damn the consequences because the consequences are here and they're very, very real and they are compromising people's quality of life and happiness all around the world right now. Mm, definitely, definitely. So that, if I can call it a journey of elevation, Simon, from uh, from me to we, 
I mean, is that systematic? What does that look like? If we could generalise that, and yet again, I'm playing massively devil's advocate here, um, you know, if we could take it away from the individual bespoke into the, the realms of generalisation, what, what kind of what journey does that look like, that elevation from me to we? Well, I think there's a couple of different ways that you can look at it. One is you as an individual. I mean, we all wear lots of hats in life. You're a husband, a father, a brother. You're a citizen. You're a consumer. You're a stakeholder in the future. You're an investor in a company. You're an employee at a company. You've got all these different hats you wear. And so the first step is really to say, you know what? I can't leave this to somebody else to fix. These are big problems and I need to play my role. Whether it's the type of brands I support by what I buy, whether it's the contributions I make to a local nonprofit, whether it's the type of company I work for, you know, and the values they stand for. So that's the first piece. And then the second piece is really, how do you make sure that the sum or all the different layers of life are working to the benefit of all? And what do I mean? You know, if you look at it right now, each one of these crises, whether it's climate or biodiversity or you know, ocean acidification, all of these things that are having a real consequence, each in their own right are a big problem, massive, but they're compounding. And together, they're really, they've got the potential to just transform our lives overnight. So there's connection between them. And if you look at something like Davos or the World Economic Forum each year, they actually have a connectivity report where they'll show, for example, climate crisis leads to extreme weather, which leads to access, lack of access to clean water, which leads to refugees and migration, which leads to nationalism at borders, which leads to civil war. You know, they're all connected. The good news is in the same way, that if we actually look at the different layers of society and life, they can be used to be positively connected. So above and beyond the individual, you can look at, well, what can my company do? And then you look at what my community can do. And then you can look at what we can do as an industry or society as a whole. And these can, all of these different layers can be stacked up on top of each other to the benefit of all in the same way that they're currently stacked up on top of each other to the detriment of all because you know we're not taking care of the most important things the planet each other you know basic health and well-being for everybody and it's interesting sometimes when you talk this way people say well doesn't that sound socialist in nature of sorts and it's absolutely not this is all about leveraging the true power of capitalism for wealth creation that is actually driven by creating a positive benefit in people's lives and that might have sounded like a theory 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but there are so many examples now of companies doing good and it's increasingly becoming competitive between purposeful companies. And we've got so many big problems to solve for that there is now increasingly becoming this new market driver where employees, investors, consumers want to support companies doing good. We just need more of that. And that in turn will unlock innovation and wealth and profit for, you know, the companies as they need them, but also have a positive impact at the same time. And that can't be bad. That can't be bad. I want to flirt a little bit, Simon, if I may, with cognitive dissonance. I mean, on page one, 152 of your book, you give four stages um, of within the context of cognitive dissonance. How significant is that in, you know, what we're talking about here, this kind of 
confusion if that's not oversimplifying it to just to use that one word just just talk us through that simon if you will yeah it is confusion um what cognitive dissonance is is really a disconnect between what you think and believe and the actions you take on that basis and the reality of the world around you and i think that's especially true today i mean look at what we're experiencing with covid most of us are you know largely staying at home vast areas of the economy are shut down travel is largely shut down all around the world all the things we used to do seeing our friends and families and all of that you know isn't really possible in the same way and yet what's going on in our mind is the life we used to know before you know we used to be able to do what we want you know with whom we wanted whenever we wanted you could just go outside go to the shops go to the cinema do, do whatever you were doing so there's this dissonance between how we're thinking and behaving based on past behaviors and the reality of the world that we live in and to a large degree you know that's one of the necessary elements of forcing us to change because eventually that tension becomes so much that you either adjust to this new reality and wake up to it or you know you're simply out of touch and you suffer the consequences and i think what we're all struggling with right now with covid-19 is is this the new normal forever i mean in the same way and again not to oversimplify but you know when 911 happened here in the united states life here changed forever the way you travel, security, your sense of safety, trust levels. I mean, it really was a seismic shift in people's psychology. I think in the same way, COVID, we're all asking ourselves, is life always going to be like this now? Are we always going to look at a handshake differently and buying in products in a store and sitting down in a restaurant and people getting so close to you that they could breathe on you? You know, is it going to be like that? And so we're at this moment of cognitive dissonance right now where the world we live in does not align with the world we've known for so long in our in our heads and we're trying to work out is this going to end and we're going to go back to normal and inverted commas or do we need to adjust for the long term and it's it's very difficult yeah i want to mention a concept i think that's that's a, the right word to use at this moment in time called world game changes which is something that i'm personally working on pulling together some great people from around the planet to to quote Covey's ninth habit, Stephen Covey, leave the world a better place. Essentially, all the stuff that we've kind of spoke around here, Simon. Um, how critical is it when 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 you when you're setting out that to you know when would people talk about the mission and the vision and the values? Because I get this asked so many times by particular people going into new startups. It's like Aren't they just fancy fancy words on paper, Paul? What would you say to that, Simon? How critical is it to get that right? Well, you know, I think it's critical, and I'll tell you why. I've been a marketer for 30 years all around the world um, and worked on a vast variety of multinational, global, and you know, national brands across all categories, B2B, B2C, startup, and global corporations. And for all of that kind of complexity, I've only ever seen three problems that are the three situations. One is you've got a good product and a bad story, which doesn't go well in the marketplace. You've got a bad product and a good story, which goes even worse because you've got a good story. So people try it and it doesn't, you know, it's not a good experience. So they're disappointed and they complain about it to others, or you have a good product and a good story. 
And the reason it's so important, you know, the reason is because you need to work out what your mission, your values, your purpose is so that you can go to market with confidence, that you can tell a good story, that you can do justice to your product. Because it doesn't matter how good your product is, if you're not sharing that well, when you, you're never going to get the, the market traction you want. You're never going to grow your company the way you want. And so in, to some degree, you're only as good as the story you share because you're only as good as what justice you do to your product. And the better you are at your storytelling, the more people are going to share it with others. And that's true always. But now over the last nine months where you've got the CEO of the largest hedge fund in the world, Larry Fink, saying, you know, the purpose of an organization is absolutely critical to its future because climate crisis is going to cause a you know, fundamental restructuring of the capital markets. You've got 180 CEOs of the world's largest corporations from Apple to SAP to JP Morgan Chase as part of the business roundtable saying it's no longer about shareholder capitalism, it's stakeholder capitalism. When on top of that, you've got COVID, you've got Black Lives Matter movement, you've got all the issues going on around the world. For a company not to get very clear about its purpose, its values, its mission, its vision, you're just courting disaster because you're going to be irrelevant. These are the new market drivers for millennials, for Gen Z, for all of us, because we're aware of the trouble we're in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, to use that word again, it is as simple as that, isn't it? In a very complex world, it does distill down to the simplicity of that. Mm. It is all about storytelling and it's about connecting with people at a heart level as well as intellectually. You know, you can't just be transactional. You have to be relational with them. Yeah, absolutely. So as we start to come towards a close, Simon, um, I believe you've got a, a podcast. I mean, podcasts are really good mediums for telling stories, are they not? <laughs> they are. They are because, you know, they're so intimate. You know, you're listening to each other and you've got that intimacy of sort of, I don't know, just understanding what's going on um, through your ears. And, um, you know, at, at We First, my company here in Los Angeles, we're lucky enough to work with a lot of the most exciting business leaders out there, whether they're founders of startups that are venture backed or private equity backed, whether they're, you know, purpose leaders. We've worked with Tom's and Timberland and Virgin and or whether they're large corporations, you know, SAP and Sony Pictures and so on. And I just thought to myself, at a time when it's more urgent than ever for businesses to survive, we've got to give people guidance about how to do it. How can they actually do good and drive growth by doing good? Because that's what investors, consumers, and, and their employees want. And so the podcast is called Lead With We. And you just go to leadwithwe.com, leadwithwe.com. And you know, if you click on Apple, you'll see it on the podcast there. And, you know, I'd love folks to subscribe because what you're going to hear is startups, founders, all the way through to CEOs of global corporations saying, this is what we're doing. This is how we're retooling. This is how we're innovating. This is how we're maintaining our culture during COVID. Like we've had everyone from the head of impact at Tom's through to the head of impact at IBM. Last week we had, um, you know, uh, the CEO of one of the largest footwear and apparel companies in the world that owns Timberland, North Face and Vans. You know, this is our way of giving you insight and into what we hear and learn every day about what's working so that you can succeed too. And this is not just a case of thriving. This is a case of surviving right now. 
And so we're, we're deeply committed to getting those best practices out there to you. So if you subscribe to Lead With We, um, you, you'll, you'll just get this weekly diet of best practices from companies that are doing it well, talking about what works, what doesn't, and how to survive in these really tough times. Is there a common thread through that, um, Simon? So I'm obviously I've alluded to more than once in this podcast around, you know, the, the startup scenario. So, you know, the, the, the common lessons, the shares, the insights, call them what you will, from, as you say, a chief exec of a, uh, a multi-global corporation, for example, would those lessons from that hold true to, um, you know, to somebody that's just starting out, for example? Yeah, it's, a, it, it's actually interesting. It does, because here's why. We're all still in the human being business. Mm. So whether you're a CEO of a company with 70,000 employees or whether you're a founder with just an intern, you know, the way that you build a culture for your business is still important. And whether you're a large corporation that is committing to doing some impact that's relevant to their category, the way they go about that and how they think is really important insights and lessons for someone who's starting out. Because I'll tell you, as someone who's worked with companies at all stages all the way through, you don't just want to know what you've got to do right now appropriate to the size of your company. You want to know what's next. You want to know what you know, the big boys and girls are doing. You want to know what's working for those companies that have the resources to do anything. You know, you sit there and you say, wow, this company, they must be able, they could simply do anything they want to do to market. What are they choosing to do? And so even if it's a big company, a, a founder, a solopreneur can hear that and go, wow, that's really interesting because it's going to help me prepare for the future. I can see the choices that they're making. I can hear they're struggling too and that they're committing to to purpose and they want to make an impact, which gives me confidence to do it. And, you know, it really inspires you to drive your company and to have impact at scale. And so, you know, I, I think we're all dealing with human beings. We're all trying to connect with customers and consumers. We're all trying to have a positive impact. And it's not so much a function of size. It's a, it's a function of strategy. Like how are you thinking about doing it? And I think that that thinking is valuable to everyone, no matter how big their company is. Superb. Thank you for that. That's yeah, that's a monumental answer. Thank you. So before I ask you one final humongous question, really, Simon, to close um, close things off, I'd just like to invite you in to, um, to share contact details, how, how people can reach out, you know, find out more about. Sure. You know, I'd love people to get the benefit of the podcast Lead With We. So you just go to leadwithwe.com and you'll see it's on Apple, Spotify, or Google. And if you look at it, you know, if you listen to it on Apple, love you to rate and review because that that helps increase the visibility. It helps with the algorithm. People can see it more. So leadwithwe.com and just subscribe on Apple and, and rate and review. Um, you know, you can find out more about WeFirst, my company at wefirstbranding.com. And you can also reach out to me directly uh, Simon at wefirstbranding.com. Simon at wefirstbranding.com. That, that comes to me directly um, and happy to provide support where I can. And, you know, I think we're all in this together, Paul. You know, I think it's a, it's a tough time for business. It's a tough time for people's health. But I don't think that there's any issue that we can't solve when we work together. And we're at a point in time now where 
if we really start thinking about the role of business in new ways, we can unlock enormous value and profits and growth in service of actually making things better. And you're seeing countless examples of that. And you hear it from leaders, you know, heads of state at Davos, you know, the World Economic Forum and business leaders, all the way through to the press every day in and around the business world. And, you know, you saw with COVID and Black Lives Matter, the business is on the hook. People are looking at companies and saying, how are you showing up? So rather than wait to get in trouble, step into that, leverage those market drivers and, you know, build your business with all your stakeholders, your employees, your customers, your investors, whatever it is, and then have the fulfillment of making a difference together. So, you know, um, wefirstbranding.com and the podcast is leadwithwe.com. And uh, if you, if I can help in some way, Simon at wefirstbranding.com. Superb. So the big question then, just to bring the curtain down, Simon, is this. We alluded to at the top of this uh, this podcast conversation around, we'd be talking around building brands that put purpose, people and planet first. If you was to give just one, one piece of advice, because obviously we've spent, you know, 30 odd minutes talking and I, and I dare say we've even scratched the surface, despite the fact that you have given some real pearls of wisdom. But if you was to give one, Simon, one piece of advice, insight, share above anything else, very succinctly, the how, if you will, what would that be? If there's one mindset shift I would encourage everyone to make, whatever your business is, whatever industry you're in, is if you want to grow your business, shift your mindset from marketing to movement making. It's not about trying to build your company on your own anymore. It's about being clear about what your purpose is and leading a movement in service of that purpose so that everyone is building your business from suppliers to employees to customers to consumers to partners and to the world or industry at large. And that way you'll grow much more quickly. You'll spread the load of, you know, marketing and content creation and storytelling. And everyone will become an extension of your marketing department. And that's the fastest way for small, new, young companies to get to the next level. Shift from marketing to movement making. Wow. That has hit me so deeply. Um, You know, we'll we'll speak about that in more detail another time, Simon. But and I'll share with you why that's that's hit me. Listeners, I hope that you share the the insights, the wisdom, the experience, the power of what Simon's been talking about, you know, at the risk of sort of saying me rather than we, I found it immensely, immensely powerful. And I think at that point, Simon, all that remains now is for me to extend my sincere gratitude to uh, for taking the time and, and for those shares. So thank you very much indeed, sir. No, thank you, Paul. And most importantly, I hope everyone, all your listeners, stay safe and well and stay optimistic. Let's work with each other and we can get through these tough times and there are better days ahead. Absolutely, which is a beautiful segue into signing off by saying, listeners, as you know, remember, mastering the game of law, law, even mastering and the authenticity of this podcast, because that won't be edited out. So I'll start again because we all make mistakes. Mastering the Game of Life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. 
If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 